Thank you so much. Glory to God. Let's just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your love. Thank you that you've come to give us life and life in abundance. I thank you, Father, that you have come and uh, you have declared your, your love towards us and the warmth that's inside you towards us. Thank you that you've come to give us eternal life and that we can enjoy who you are. Lord, speak powerfully through, through me today and uh, just let your truth be declared. Uh, and we just want to see uh, people free and we feel that heart that you have uh, beating within us. The heart of seeing people free, seeing them having life, having their lives preserved. For you want us with you forever. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, Greg, thank you for, for having me in, uh, in your church and just uh, ministering. Uh, to the people. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to fellowship uh, with Greg and uh, just to have somebody that is like-minded and uh, that we can share one another, you know. Uh, I had once, I had a guy, he said, he said to me, who preaches what you preach, Bertie? I said, Greg Henry. He says, man, the two of you just psych one another up. I said, amen. <laughs> you know, glory to God. Right, today I'm going to talk about what the Bible um, means and what it means when the Bible talks about the gnashing of teeth. And then we're going to take it and end it with um, what, what is the, the whole parable about the rich man and Lazarus. What does that talk about? Uh, you know, last night I talked about life and immortality and that the end goal that God has for man is to bring a man uh, to a place where he can live and never die. And that we see, uh, one might say, but what scripture do you use? I mean, there are many scriptures, but something that's more powerful than a scripture is, we see that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the end goal. We see the word of God that he had about man. And God's word is very simple. Uh, I'll take a man. Uh, I've had, I had a promise from before time, and that promise is the, that, that you will have eternal life, that you will not be dying anymore. And that, uh, I mean, that is a foreign concept to the church, yet it was the building block of the preaching of the Apostle Paul. We need to realize that the Apostle Paul, well, let me put this, God had this promise, let me finish that point, God had this promise, and he made that promise from before time. And the Jews were living, and people on earth were living in the hope of eternal life, and they didn't know how this eternal life would come. They just know that God has promised that from before time. And then all of a sudden, here comes a man, he takes the, whole, the sin of all people upon him, and he dies a death upon the cross, um, but he died with a promise in his heart that my father has promised me that he can raise me up. And then on the third day, Jesus arose. And when John saw that, he wrote down in First John, he said, the eternal promise, the promise that was from the beginning, that, that which was from before time, which was God's promise that he can take dust and love it to the point that it cannot die, has been manifested. And we see that. We have touched it. We've beheld it. It became true. And the wonderful thing that the Jews never understood was that that death that he died, he died without sin, without his own sin. He died it with my sin. And when he died that death and was raised up, we can now behold our immortality, our eternal life. And then he said, I will come back physically to this earth and I will establish this truth in every man that has this spirit, the spirit of eternal life. So that is the, the gospel in a nutshell. 
Um, but what we've done is we've made the gospel so much about where are you going to spend eternity. In the meantime, the gospel is about God giving us an eternity. Does I say that again? You know, we've, we've had this thing about, you know, we are, uh, we've, we've basically likened the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. We've put it in the same category of power. As if the kingdom of Satan and darkness and evil and death can last forever. And then we've got the kingdom of God lasting forever. I've got news for you. <laughs> the kingdom of the devil and darkness and death cannot last forever. It's not an eternal kingdom. It's a dying kingdom. That's why the Bible says death and Hades will be put into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Death is going to die. I just want to tell you that. And God said that my man, my Adam, entered into a system that's not eternal, and that means I'm going to lose him. He's in a sinking ship. And the kingdom that he entered in, I've warned him, saying, in that kingdom, you will not eternally live, eternally exist. You're going to die. And God said, let me just make a plan and fabricate a plan and bring something forth that I can restore his heart and his belief in me that I can bring him eternal life and save him from the sinking ship. But we've we haven't taught it that way. We've taught it as God actually created this evil place called hell and destruction and death which will eternally last. And then he, as the father, is going to beat up on his creation in that place forever and ever. And we haven't preached the gospel. We haven't preached the message. We ha our point of departure was wrong. We've made eternal life a common thing, as if it just belongs to every demon and every... Listen, eternal life doesn't belong to demons. It doesn't belong to the devil. Immortality doesn't belong to the devil. The Bible says, and God, the only immortal. We've made out of the devil God. We've said that the devil is the sons of God. In order to say you're a son of God, you need to possess something called immortality. Because he's the only immortal, and if you are born from him, then you'll possess something that looks like him, and that will be immortality. And that is what Christ has come and brought to every man. Does the Bible not say, say through Christ, uh, life and immortality came to light. Glory to God. We couldn't see immortality in a man. And here we see a man um, as us go and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And we see this immortality. And with this spirit of the resurrection saying it's our life, our hearts cry and say, God is my Father for I possess immortality. And here the only immortal shares his immortality with man. And we will see the full manifestation of that and the perfection of that in the return of Christ. So we patiently wait for that. We don't try and become immortal by having great faith. We just trust Him. He'll bring it forth. But in the meantime, what we have done, we have said that this attribute that belongs to God only belongs to the devil and belongs to demons and belongs to every unrighteous person and belongs to all those, the haters of God. No. We've made it such a common thing that we've made the devil have the attribute of God. Let me tell you, the devil in this kingdom is not eternal. There's only one eternal kingdom. It's the kingdom of God Almighty. All the rest of it will die. It will end. It cannot stand. The Bible says, who shall stand in the day of the Lord? No, the devil and his angels. No, 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 no. 
They're not going to stand. They are ending. So don't follow their doctrine. Don't follow their belief because you will perish with them. You know, God doesn't need to kill somebody that's already dying. No, no, you know, one day if you don't listen, God's going to kill you. I want to tell you something. I don't care what scripture you use, but God has never killed anything. Nothing. In Him is no darkness at all. And the Bible says the life that's in God is the light of man. So now we want to say this life will one day just kill people. No, no. People will die. Because if you've got a system of death inside you, it will destroy you. So now we sit with this thing in our minds, you know. You know what about, you know, you know, Lazarus and the rich man and the gnashing of teeth and all those kind of things. I cannot see. Now, let, let me tell you this. For those of you that watch online and somebody says, you know, Bertie has gone off on the deep end. Now, that's a way of saying you became a universalist. No, no. I'm not a universalist. I don't believe in universalism at all. I don't believe that all people shall be saved. That's why the gospel is being preached, because there will be people that's going to die. All that I'm saying is I cannot see that God sits at a place where He finds some kind of a satisfaction or where His righteousness is satisfied in wanting to torture people forever. Because that is just, I'm a righteous God. I need to do that. I don't understand that. I used to believe that. But what I've come to see is that the gospel is not about heaven and hell. The gospel is about eternal life and death. And God wanted to save us from death. But one of the things that we've got in our mind is these scriptures about Lazarus and the rich man. And we've got scriptures about what about the gnashing of teeth and how does all of that work. And we're going to look at that. Is it okay if we take grace and look at that? We take the finished work of, on the cross and we took the, take the family logic of God and the love of God and we study that. Now, let me put it this way. We first heard, you know, God is a loving God, He's a good God and everything. And from that loving God and good God and everything, we went and questioned some of the stuff we used to believe. And we questioned the tithing. We questioned the sowing and reaping. We questioned the authority, try and get a mantle from the man of God. We've questioned all those th stuff and we realized it was lies. But let me tell you, the same guys that taught us all this other rubbish taught us as well about eternity. So is it okay if we just go at a place where we just look at the love of God, the kindness of God, the character of God, the free will He gave man, and fit that in and see if it fits what we've traditionally believed? But we're so scared to touch on that, because if we touch on that, um, oh my goodness, you know? You're not... You, you, like I said last night, we've, we've taken the kingdom of darkness and made it this robust rock that the, the waves can beat against, and then the kingdom of God is this little beautiful flower that's got three leaves and is busy dying. And we feed it with our good works and our prayers and our money, and oh, we just hope that the kingdom of God's going to stand on the earth. Let me tell you something. That's <laughs> the kingdom of God is so robust. Death cannot outlive life. Just look at the word, death. 
What does death mean? There'll be an end to it. Death doesn't mean eternal life. Death means it's going to end. Eternal life means it will continue to exist. So let us not be from the night. Let us be sober and see the kingdom of light and have it inside us. Amen. Was that a good introduction? Yeah. Amen. Right. Let's get into the message. <laughs> let's go to Matthew 13. I hope. Listen, I know you want to go and eat and stuff today. You know, and Mother's Day and everything. Spoil the mother with this message, man. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> All right, I said, we're going to go to Matthew. Let me see, maybe I was there. Matthew 13, verse 34 to 35. You know, when we look at the parable of, uh, or, or the story of Lazarus and the rich man, have you realized that, you know, and, and this is the way I grew up, Lazarus and the rich man was not a parable, it's a real thing. All the other things Jesus said was parables. But Lazarus and the rich man, mm -mm, that's a real deal right there. Now, I want to read this verse to you in Matthew 13, 34. It says, And all these things spoke Jesus unto the multitudes in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them. I hope that settles it. <laughs> no, Lazarus and rich man is not a parable. Wait, wait, wait. Who, did, who was Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to the multitudes. Okay. When he spoke that parable, he wasn't speaking to his disciples. He was speaking to the he was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we find this amazing verse in the Bible: "All these things spoke Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spoke he not unto them." So, okay, is is the story of Lazarus and the rich man a parable or not? Okay, so it's a parable. So what it means is, and you know, if you, even if you want to take the story of Lazarus, the rich man, and you want to interpret it physically, then, you know, Lazarus has to physically go to the bosom of Abraham. Not heaven. You know what we've said? No, Lazarus went to heaven. No, no. <laughs> he went to, I mean, this is now physical, you know, it's a physical fire, and the physical flame is going to burn people. Well, then the bosom must be physical as well. I mean, you can't just interpret like a lunatic. You must interpret right. I mean, there must be a consequent way of looking. I mean, what is, what's your, I mean, we don't, we read nothing like, we always look at context if we read any contract when you want to buy a house. But when it comes to the Bible, we read as we like. No. Lazarus, if Lazarus, Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham, it means that Abraham was standing there somewhere, not in heaven. It doesn't talk about heaven. Nowhere. It's just an assumption. And then he's got this bag around his neck. It's like a big bag where they would carry their stuff in. It's called the bosom. And then Lazarus is sitting there looking out of the bosom of Abraham. If you want to put the rich man in a fire burning there, then you must put Lazarus in a bosom. Or you must ask God, what, is, what are these things saying? Now, let's get, first get into the gnashing of teeth. Um, if you look, uh, if, if, let us go to Psalm 112. 
Psalms 112, and we're going to read from verse 6 to 9, looking at the gnashing of teeth. Now, the way I always looked at the gnashing of teeth is um, that, you know, you're going to have so much pain that you're just going to hear teeth gnashing. Like, it makes me think of this, you know, in, in South Africa, um, uh, the, the colored community has got this, now, I know it might be a wrong word here, but in South Africa, it's, that is one of our people groups called colored. It's mixed between white and black folk. Okay, so I'm not racist when I say it. This is one of the groups, and they're proud. You know, that's even if you fill in a form, are you colored or are you what? And then you mark colored if you're colored. So, but the colored folk, what they do is, a lot of them is, they cut out their front teeth. So they've got a big gap there. They, now you're going to say, why do they do that? They say it kisses better. Okay? <laughs> they kiss better that way. So... There was this one preacher, and this really happened. He was preaching, and he was preaching on a play, place called Mitchell's Plain, where a lot of the colors live in Cape Town area. And he was always preaching, you know, and he was, and he was trying to get these people saved. He comes with hellfire and brimstone. These people are tired of hellfire and brimstone. And they were sitting there on the, on the pavement and sitting and looking at this. And this guy, and, and this preacher was preaching. He says, I want to tell you there will be a gnashing of teeth. And he was going on with this fear message. And there will be a gnashing of teeth. And this one guy was smiling like that and he's got no teeth. <laughs> and then he says, you can smile like that. I don't care if you don't have teeth. You will be supplied. But you will gnash. So, <laughs> you're going to be supplied with some teeth, man. But you're not going to get past this thing with, with, by cutting out your teeth. You're going to gnash. And that's the kind of thought that I had about hell and the gnashing of teeth. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not teaching now on the afterlife. I am explaining this, these verses. See, if I look at Lazarus and the rich man, I'm not talking about the afterlife. I'm talking about what that verse means. That's what I'm talking about. We can have other verses and talk about afterlife, you know, where we, what happens when we die. And there are not many of those actually explaining that, but there are some, and we can talk about that, but that we will do in a different day. We just want to explain what Lazarus and the rich man is all about. So we have to look at the gnashing of teeth because we find uh, the rich man finding himself in that place which talks about a fire and a flame and his tongue and his suffering and all of that, a gnashing of teeth. So he says in Psalm 112 from verse 6, it says, Surely he shall not um, be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. This talks about a righteous person. His heart is established and he shall not be afraid until he sees um, his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed, this righteous person, and given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see this. This wicked shall see how this righteous man gives to the poor. Okay? The wicked shall see this and be grieved, and he shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Okay. So what is this gnashing of the teeth? The gnashing of the teeth is basically um, the torment inside an unjust person or inside the wicked when he beholds the righteous blessing the poor. 
Oh, Bethy, that can't be. Let's read it again. He, the righteous, has given to the poor. His good, equitable deed of giving to the poor will last forever. In other words, the context here is this. There were people of that day, you know, and, and they do it today even. When the harvest comes in and they would harvest the wheat, then they will keep it back to get the price higher. And when the price is high, they sell. That's what they do. And these people were keeping back. But the righteous man, he didn't keep back. He sold his stuff. He gave to, he actually gave to the poor. So here are the people that love riches, love money, will, will actually enrich themselves in the midst of the poverty and the struggle of the poor. But the righteous man comes, and what does he do? He has got an equitable deed, and he actually gives to the poor. And his equitable deed, and what he's done, will be remembered forever. His righteous act will never cease. It will continually be remembered. It's like Nelson Mandela. What did he do when he became president? He didn't walk in, in, in anger. What did he do? He walked in forgiveness. And you know what? His righteous act will be remembered forever. His righteousness will stand. He didn't come with war. He came with kindness. And his righteous act will stand. The same context here, or the same kind of a thing here. He says that the righteous will bless the poor. His righteous deed shall be remembered forever. And his horn shall be exalted. The poor will say, this is my leader. This is a good man. And then those who are trying to Make money out of the poor. Well, look at that. And they'll gnash with their teeth. Gnashing with the teeth would be the same as saying in English, spitting mad. Very angry. So, here it says, and let me read it again. He has dispersed. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see this and be grieved in their hearts and shall gnash with their teeth and melt away. You see what gnashing of the teeth is? It's to be upset when somebody is good to somebody that you think doesn't deserve it. Okay, that's gnashing of the teeth. No, Bertie, that cannot be. It is. Let's go to Psalm 35, verse 15. This is David, I believe also is a type of Christ. <laughs> he says, But my adversaries, they rejoice and gather themselves together. Yes, the abjects gather themselves together against me. And I know, um, and I know it not. They did tear, sorry, I, I, mean, I must be in the previous verse. Let me find. Oh, yeah, it's, it's correct. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers in feast, they gnash upon me with their teeth. So what he's talking about here, he says, there are people that hate me and don't like me. And they are hypocrites. And they sit in our feasts. 
and they sit there and they've got bitterness and hatred towards me. And that bitterness and hatred, that is, you know, when somebody really hates somebody else, you can see it in his eyes. And that, according to biblical terms, is called gnashing with the teeth. It is, this man comes, he gives to the poor, and now we cannot become so rich because he gave to the poor. You know, my book, Jesus is the Tithe, and my teachings on tithing, I have seen many people gnash with the teeth when the fire of God's love was revealed. When I released it. Gnashing. He's mm. messing up the church. He's causing division. Because he's coming and telling people that God will just bless them for free. And now I cannot run my system. Mm. <laughs> and the love of God is, 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 is burning them. Because a righteous man, Jesus, came and blessed the poor. And the poor are not exalting you anymore. They're exalting the man that could give things for free. And they are blessing him. His honor is coming forth in the earth. And then those who found their honor by these people serving them and keeping them in bondage, look at that and they're angry. That's called the gnashing of teeth. Okay. Let's take the Bible and interpret the Bible with the Bible. You know, we've taken the gnashing of teeth and we haven't used the biblical context on what it means to actually see what he's talking about. Right, with hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnash with me, they gnash upon me with their teeth. Then, then he prays and says, Lord, rescue me from this. Let's go to an even a more powerful verse. Let's go to New Testament. Let's go, let's go to Acts 7. And we're going to see this in action. Jesus talked about there will be a gnashing of teeth and we're going to see how it took place. Okay. But Bertie, I thought one day, no, no, we're going to look at a practical event where it took place. Acts 7.51. <clears throat> this is Stephen. Stephen comes and um, now I was sitting here, Lord, should I first go to Acts 7 or should I first go to Luke 13? But let's do the Acts 7. Um, Stephen comes and he preaches. And he preaches a message wherein he declares to the Jews of that time that they are actually um, the unfaithful servant or the worthless servant. You remember the parable of the servant that was worthless? And you know the worthless servant, what did the Bible say should be happened to the worthless servant? Should be bound hand and foot. It should be cut asunder, cast into outer darkness where there will be a gnashing of teeth. So who is this worthless servant? Here we see Stephen comes and he declares that the Jewish people in their, not the Jewish people, the priesthood of that time, the lovers of the law and all of that, that were beating on their fellow servants with their law. You know the parable in Luke 13 where it talks about the guy that comes and, he's, and he's, um, he says, <clears throat> there was a guy that says, my Lord is tarrying, he's not coming. And then what he did was this wicked servant, 
unfaithful servant, what did he do? He started to beat up on his fellow servants. It's exactly what the Jews did. They were beating up on the Gentiles. You sinner. You dog. Beating up on them. Not seeing the value of these people. Not bringing forth the value of these people. They didn't use the, the, the law system to show forth actually the kindness and love of God and the prophetic word pointing to Christ which will die and it will include all nations. They didn't use the law to explain and try and show forth um, what God promised Abraham that the blessing will be to all the nations. That God comes and lives among sinners. They thought, no, no, God cannot have anything to do with a sinner. Yet in the meantime, God came and made his tabernacle amongst them which Moses called a stiff-necked people. You know, Moses was on the mountain, and was in the mountain, God showed him his glory, and he says, I am merciful and gracious, abundant in goodness and truth. And then in Exodus 34, verse 8, Moses comes and falls down on his knees, and he says, God, if this is true, if you are merciful, if you pardon sin, come and live amongst us, a stiff-necked people. What he was actually saying in plain English is, well, God, I've got a place where you can be yourself. <laughs> That's what he said. And what did God do? He went and lived amongst people that built idols, that fornicate, and whatever, he lives amongst them. And the word there is actually God, the, the sin of the people could not separate God from them. He came and lived amongst them. And we see that very same thing in Christ. But what did the Jews do? No, they cast out the Gentiles. They don't say, we're waiting for the Messiah and He's coming, and when the day of the Lord came, they, start, they, they repented. No, they didn't repent. When Jesus came and He died and He rose again, they said, truly, He is the Son of God. Let's say His body was stolen. Because my system is going to fall. And I'm making nice money out of this system. And it's nice for me to be high on a mountain, looking down on the Gentiles and the poor and all those. Because I'm rich, I'm the blessed of God. So here Stephen comes and he rebukes them. And listen to what he says. He, he declares here that they are the, un, uh, the, the, the unworthy or the, or the unfaithful servant. That's what he's doing. And he comes and he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Now listen. The Jewish people found great pride in their genealogy. Their whole pride was, who's my father? Because they were in the flesh thinking that in the flesh, in the fact that I am a Jew, that's what qualifies me and makes me righteous to be a partaker of the Olam Haba or even of the return of Christ. They, they were in the flesh. Their confidence was in their flesh. Their confidence was, I've got confidence when the Messiah comes, I will be part of the Messianic reign, ruling over the nations, because I'm a Jew. And then he comes, he says, you're uncircumcised in your heart, man. That's a problem with you guys. He says, you have resisted the Holy Spirit all the time, as your fathers did. Now, when you say that to a Jew, you make him very angry. You're saying to him that your father resisted God. Your father was uncircumcised. Now, you don't come to a Jew and tell him he's uncircumcised. Mm -mm. You are touching the depth of his being. This is the kind of thing John the Baptist was busy with when he preached. He says, you guys boast that your father is Abraham. 
I hope you see where I'm going with this because the, the rich man was sitting and he was calling Father Abraham, you know. So he says, you call your father Abraham. But God feels nothing for that. He can out of these stones bring forth children of Abraham. You are sinners, man. You need to be baptized and repent of your sin and wait for the coming of the Messiah. You need salvation. You are not, you, you, you don't have any confidence, man. Now go and tell that to a Jew today. Try it. Go to Jerusalem. Take one of those guys with the black hats and stuff and go and tell him this. Tell him you uncircumcised in heart. Your father resisted the Holy Spirit as you did. You're a murderer of the Messiah, man. That's what he said. Let me read it. Which of the prophets have you not, which of the prophets have not your father's persecuted and they have slain them which showed you of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and the murderers he says your fathers murdered the prophets that prophesied of the just one and when the just one came you murdered him you killed him Now, what happens to a person when he hears that? He's hearing that, I'm the unfaithful servant. You know what he's doing here? He is, let's read to 53, he says, Who have received the law by the um, disposition of angels and have not kept it. So what happens? He says, listen, you guys received the law, you received the prophets, you murdered the prophets, you never kept the law, and what the prophets prophesied, you even murdered that. And you've resisted the Holy Spirit. So what is he doing? He's casting them out. He's telling them, listen, you are not the faithful servant. What he's doing is he's cutting them to pieces. That's what he's busy with. He's binding them hand and foot. That's what he's busy with. That cutting to, you know, when, when the Bible says, cut the servant to pieces, if you read it there, it means to cut in the heart. But when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. <laughs> they were cut asunder. They, was, they, were, they, was, they, they were declared by Stephen, you, you, you guys, you are not the faithful servant. You are not the people that God talks about. You, you are the ones who murdered God, man. You, you're a worthless servant. He was saying to those Jews. And then they were cut to the heart. And they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. <laughs> Let the scripture speak for itself, man. <laughs> so you see what the gnashing of teeth is? What happened here? And, and let, let's read a bit on and see what these guys did. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So he saw Jesus, but listen to what he says. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man. He didn't say Jesus. He says, I see a human being. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know what the Jews heard when they said that? Because he didn't say, he didn't say, I see a Jew. He said, I see mankind. I see a man. 
at the right hand of the Father, and they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, the kingdom just belongs to us. And here he comes, he says, you guys, you think the kingdom only belongs to you. You are thrust out, man. This system is not part of the kingdom. You're the murderers of the kingdom. And what I'm seeing is, and then they got angry, they gnashed with their teeth. And then he said, I see a man at the right hand of God. A man means Jew or Gentile, whatever. There's a man, a human, at the right hand of the Father. And they hated that. They couldn't hear that. There's more to be said about that, but I'm not going to get into that. But they hated that. And then they went on. And they said, um, And behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. Do you see the, the gnashing of the teeth? Manifesting the ministration of death that's inside them. Who were these folk? It was those who couldn't see that God can come and declare the poor rich. Those that could come and call the Seraphonician woman, the Greek woman, and heal her. They can't see that. Jesus came declaring to people, your sins are forgiven you. No. That cannot be. The way sins are forgiven is, you're going to buy a lamb from me, that I can make a profit. And then, you, and then you're going to go to the temple. And that's how we live, and that's the kingdom of God. Looking down on people, not bringing peace to people. Then when Jesus comes, and he says, listen, everybody you disqualified, I qualify. And you are the murderers. You are the killers. You murdered the prophets. You stiff-necked, you resist the Holy Spirit, declaring to the Jews and the priesthood of that time that you, the unworthy servant or the unfaithful servant that needs to be cast out of the kingdom, meaning declaring that's not the kingdom of God. And there was a gnashing of teeth, and we saw the gnashing of teeth right there. Okay, now, with that in mind, we can go to um, Luke 16, talking about Lazarus and the rich man. Now, we can read, read the whole parable, but I think I'm just, most of us know it. This is what happened. If you read Luke 16, there was a parable just before that. In Luke 15, talking about the, um, the prodigal son. And we see the very same thing in the life of the prodigal son. Let's just get to the prodigal son first. This, it says there was a, a man who had two sons. And the one served him faithfully, which was the older. And then the other one went and had wasteful living. And what this represents is the Jew and the Gentile. The Jews were the people that were keeping the law and were working. And they were working hard to get just a little goat from the Father. But they didn't get it. Never understanding that they are actually the owners of everything. And then when the other brother who was dead to them who were the Jews, or who were the Gentiles, who were seen as the outcast, who were seen as sinners worthy of death. When they came in through Christ, what happened? God slaughtered the fatted calf, declared their sonship. Then the Jews were standing there, and they heard this noise. It says, what is this music? What is this feast? No, no, it is God declaring the Gentiles as his sons. And then he was upset, and he stayed outside. 
he was angry and says, I refuse to enter. I'll rather live here in outer darkness. I'm not going in to the kingdom of light. I'm staying outside. And what does the father do? He goes outside and says, your brother who was dead. In other words, in the Jew's mind, it talks about the Gentile who was not a son. He was dead. Became a son. We, I declare, he's always been my son. He says, why are you angry? Your brother who was dead is now alive. And he's standing out there gnashing. Because I cannot see that he can be good, that the righteous can bless one who has wasted everything. Gnashing. Here we come with, um, we, we, we get to, to, to Lazarus and the rich man now. There was a rich man, the Bible says, and he was clothed in purple and in linen. You know what that means? It talks about kings and priests. This is a parable, people. Okay? Kings and priests. And he lived, lived a rich life. And at his gate, gate talks about, to me, the opening wherein God will let the Gentiles in. But okay, at the gate, there was, a, there was Lazarus, full of sores. Dogs licked his sores. And listen to this, these words. And he desired to eat the crumbs that falls from the master's table. Okay, isn't that what he desired? You can go and read it, that's what it says. And Lazarus was at the gate, it says, and no one gave anything to him. Remember the Greek woman that came to Jesus and Jesus said to her, you are a dog. Okay, Lazarus was outside and the dogs licked his sores. And he, like the Greek woman, desired the crumbs that falls from the master's table. That talks about Gentiles. That's what it talks about, Lazarus. Lazarus also comes from the, from the Hebrew name Eliaser, which means the one who God helps. Okay, so what's God going to do? He's going to come to Lazarus, and he's now going to come and help Lazarus. And then the rich man is going to gnash with his teeth, which is the Jew. <laughs> so here comes Lazarus. The Bible says, and Lazarus and the rich man died. And that's normally where we find our problem. It's with a death. Now, if we look at the, at the narrative and what it implies, we find the rich man, the, 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 the priests and the kings, kings at, at those robes and the priests at the linen, talking about the Jewish priestly system and the Jewish nation that was rich. Rich in what? They had the law and the prophets, man. They had God speaking to them. They were rich in all of that. And the Gentiles couldn't get anything. And they just desired the crumbs that falls from the master table. Jesus said, you are a dog to the lady that wanted healing. Don't you know it is not right to give the bread of the children to the dogs? So in the rich man's house, do you see in that Syrophoenician story, the way the Jews understood these things? It was a rich man. And then it was the Gentiles, which were seen as the dogs. And the bread was the blessings of the kingdom. The people of God and all its blessings. And here you see the Gentiles standing outside. They cannot have anything because this is just for the Jews. Because the law was given to the Jews. And they're standing outside desiring. I wish I can be blessed like these people. But they can't. 
because of the law. And then God says, and the rich man died, or the Lazarus died, and the rich man died. Now, in what event did Jew and Gentile die? In Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Man, it's quiet here. The Bible says, and Lazarus was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. Who are the angels? The Bible says, angels are messengers. Who's Lazarus? It's the Gentiles. What is the bosom of Abraham? The heart that believes God. And the preachers of the gospel came and preached to the Gentiles, and they believed. But the Jews didn't want to. They didn't want to. And they saw the fire, the burning. They experienced the fire burning them where they gnash with their teeth and they're in this flame and I want to be delivered from this flame. And look at what they do. They call not on God. They don't want to be delivered from the flame by God. They call on Abraham. Father Abraham, what you're actually saying is, Jewish system, deliver me from this pain when I see the poor being blessed by the righteous Jesus. And Abraham says, <laughs> it's not possible because the flesh can never bless you. Isn't that wonderful? But if we, listen, listen to the law here. Now, he, he, he's still in the law. He says, but Abraham, if a man raises from the dead, then my brothers will believe. Let us preach. What he was actually saying is, you know, we as Jews, we are suffering. We cannot believe that the Gentiles are so blessed. We cannot believe that they are the children of God. We are suffering here. But you can help us from our unbelief by doing a miracle. If you do a miracle, just a miracle, then we will start to believe. You remember when Jesus was on the earth, they said, what sign do you give us? Give us a sign that we can believe. You are blessing all these people. It is hurting us. It's hurting our system. We are against you. We gnash with our teeth. We are the hypocrites sitting here gnashing in our teeth against you, Jesus. And what you're doing, we're against this. We know, we're not for you, but we can be delivered from this pain if you just give us a sign. Just do us a miracle. And Jesus said, listen, man, no miracle can cause you to believe. You have the law and the prophets which prophesy towards me. If you cannot believe that, you've already resisted the voice of the Father in your heart. How will you now believe because of a miracle? And not long after that, he raised a physical man called Lazarus. And after Lazarus was raised... What, he, what was said became true. They said, oh, Lazarus was raised. Um, Jesus said he's the resurrection. We are awaiting the resurrection and he raised the man. This is a big problem. What shall we do? Let us kill Jesus and Lazarus. That will really solve it. Man, stiff-necked people, I tell you. Really stiff-necked. Gnashing against the goodness of God. Let's go to Ephesians. 
And I'm going to end off with this. Ephesians 2 and verse 15. It says, For he is our peace who has... Listen to this. I'm, I, I want to just explain again about Lazarus and the rich man's death. Where does the Jew and the Gentile die? In Christ. What scripture points to that? This is it, Ephesians 5. He says, for he, ha for he is our peace. Talking about the peace between nations here. He's our peace who has made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So what he's saying here is, in the context here is, there's Jew, there are Jews and there are Gentiles. And the thing that causes this division is the J Jews has got the law. And by the law, the Gentiles are declared dogs. Okay? According to their understanding of it. They don't really understand what the law is actually pointing to. The law points to Christ, man. But they don't read it that way. And here he comes and he says, God took the two and made it one new man. Okay? In other words, if God takes the Gentile and he takes the Jew and he makes one new man, Gentile is not there anymore. And Jew is not there anymore. So if something was and is gone, what happened to it? It died. <laughs> and God took the Gentile, and he took the Jew. He fulfilled the law. And since there was not a system anymore to declare Jew or Gentile, the Gentile died. Lazarus died. The one that was just begging to have crumbs, he died. And he was made a partaker. And the Jew who found his life in the flesh, he died. And he was now put in Christ. As the Gentile was. So that they can be reconciled unto the life of God and so have immortality. But the Jew didn't want that. He didn't want that. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained. Having abolished the enmity. Enmity between what? Between these nations. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for he make in himself of the two one new man, and so he made peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Do you see how Jew and Gentile died in the cross? So Lazarus died, and the rich man died. And then in the resurrection, after this death... <laughs> They are in a flame, burning, hating the idea that the Gentiles are also the people of God. Hating the idea that these cursed, no good, dogs, the poor, are blessed by the righteous one. And they gnash at their teeth, burning in a fire, continuing, continuing calling on Abraham, saying, Abraham, save me from this pain. And Abraham cannot. <laughs> do you know the scripture there in Luke where it says and in the day when you will see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom and you are thrust out you will gnash with your teeth because Abraham was about faith the kingdom of God is a kingdom of having a heart persuaded in the goodness of God and the Gentiles were carried by the angels the messengers of the gospel 
to the bosom of Abraham, meaning the Gentiles started to believe as Abraham did. And they were found in the place where the heart of Abraham, that promise that God made Abraham in you, all the nations shall be blessed. And the Jews looks at this and hates it. And gnash with their teeth. And the very same thing is true today in church. If we come with a message that says the poor are blessed. No, the, 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 the typical, and I, I'm, I'm not a church hater or whatever, and I know it is not eternal life to be against something. But I want to just explain something to you and just say it as it is, man. The, the typical charismatic Pentecostal uh, prosperity gospel church hates it if you call the poor blessed. You can't call the poor blessed. No way. If you come and say to the poor that the whole kingdom and immortality belongs to you, and you are as blessed and as prosperous as the richest man there is, no. No, no, no. Why? Because that poor man must tithe to me so that I can know the blessing of the Lord. Let me put it this way and just get a little bit of money. If, if you preach, maybe you're watching via the web, if you are a preacher and you are believing in sowing and reaping, take your money and give it to the poor man. And tell no one. Don't go and tell what you believe to people and take their money. Tell the people, listen, sowing and reaping works. Take all your money. I already am prosperous. I'm giving my money to the poor. And let them give their money all to the poor. And then live. No, no, you're just rich because you've conned people. That's all. There's no other way. You've just conned people. And it's, maybe it's not willful. It's just because you may be deceived. And that's all. Some people are willfully, when they hear this truth, they willfully make a stand against it. And they gnash you with their teeth. In the, and, and they want a stone. Let's kill that ministry. Gnashing with their teeth. And in this place of gnashing with the teeth, in this death that took place, this, this abode of the dead that in, in this context, in this death, you know what will happen to this system? It will be cast into the lake of fire, which is called the second death. This will still cease. It will end. There will come a time when Christ establishes his kingdom on this earth in the manifestation of immortality here. And those who had that spirit of death in them will die with that system and lose their lives. And those who have the spirit will live. I think it's done. <laughs> Is God not good? You know what this message does? It puts God in the category of good in my heart. Yet, it, I don't have to go to the scriptures and claim universalism and twist stuff so out of mind, uh, out, out of context, that my heart cannot believe in the scriptures anymore. You see, the thing is, when you go into universalism, you have to say, this scripture is not true, that's not true. The, here, and you go into so many things that your heart cannot even believe the scripture that says Jesus took away your sin. Because that's also part of the scripture. And you just confuse yourself. 
But when you get to a place where you can see what the, the scripture does talk about death, just talk, talk, does talk about the destruction of the wicked, it does talk about all these things, yet in our hearts it's difficult for us as believers that have the love of God to actually fathom God eternally killing and torturing people every day, every night, every day. Yeah, but you know, if you've sinned, if you really sinned, you know, against God, that's the only thing that will justify it. Okay, so in other words, you have come to a place where you have not believed in the Lord and God thinks it's a just thing to for trillions and trillions and trillions of years torture you. I mean, there's something wrong with that. But I can understand if you have not believed in the Lord and you have died and your death lasts eternally. That I can believe. That makes sense. That makes my heart want to trust God. People say, but how do you evangelize if you don't pre preach hell hot? We've got enough good news. The good news is this. This is the salvation plan. If you go to a guy on the street, what will he tell him? When you go to a guy on the street and you see he's struggling and whatever, you can say to him, you know, God has dreamt you from before time. He's loved you. He's had a plan for you to have his quality of life. He loves you so much that he wants to save you from what's destroying your life. This thing is not making God mad. Uh, uh, what God wants, it's just a sinking ship. And he wants you, he wants your life to last forever. You know what? It's actually proven, proven to you that in the midst of all this sin, he can raise you from the dead. And he has loves you and he says, man, f look at your life and believe upon this life. That is your life. Can you confess that Christ has actually been risen from the dead? That he has conquered your death, man. He loves you. He, he, he loves you so much that he never wants you to die. He's come and he said, I've given you a seat in the Trinity, man. This sin has never confused you with what you've done. And the path that you're on will lead to an eternal death. And this God stands there and says, you're part of something that's going to take your life away, and I cannot see it. I want to save you. That'll get people saved, man. You can preach that in the bar with boldness, but not in the synagogue. This is going to mess up the system. So, you don't have to believe what I say. Go and speak to God about it, and then you can believe it later. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Greg. Hallelujah. Hey, hold on. I just want to pray for you real quick. Thank you, Glory to God. We're just going to pray for Birdie. Father, we just thank you for Birdie. We just thank you for putting forth your hand and touching his mouth. We thank you, Father, for putting your word in his mouth. We just thank you, Lord, that you uphold Birdie with your right hand and give him the boldness and strengthen him with your grace to declare this word with boldness so that this word can go across the earth, so that this word can set the captives free and that they can see your eternal goodness, Lord. And mm. that when they think of you, they can think of your eternal goodness instead of your eternal badness. Mm. Thank you, Father. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you.